It's good to be here again. If you've got your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me, uh, as Pastor Rod said, to Philippians. And we're continuing in our series, and we're going to be in chapter 2 today in, in Philippians. Uh, I want to start with a question, and, and the question is this. How many of you would consider yourself, this is going to sound odd, a very clean person? A clean person. Your, your, your room, your, your bed is always made, your car is always uh, sort of well cleaned and well kept. How many of you say you're, you're a clean person? Anybody? Well organized, all right. How many messy people do we have here? All right. I like how the messy people are sometimes married to the clean people, and then that, that creates interesting things. Um, <laughs> So I would have considered myself a pretty clean person over the years, like even when I was in grad school and high school, you know, I'd make my bed in the morning, keep my room fairly clean. And I don't know, something happened uh, when we had kids where I just stopped trying. Um, and, and that may go for like other areas of life too. But I've become, like I've been told by even my kids that I've become sort of a messy person. In my car recently, uh, my daughter had to ride in my car because I had the, the van um, for, for something else. So she was riding in my car with my wife and she said, Mommy, Daddy's car is a mess. <laughs> there was like judgment in, in their voice. And I've noticed my office recently, when I first took the job at the university, I, I kept my office very clean and right next door to me is, a, is an older professor by the name of Dr. Mike Fullingham and I would always tease him about his office because it was starting to look like an episode of Hoarders and uh, yeah, if you've seen the show Hoarders, and I would, teasing is kind of my love language, and so I would tease him about his office, and, and, and slowly but surely, my office has now come to resemble an episode of Hoarders, where there's just papers everywhere, and some friends came by, uh, another administrative assistant in the office came by last week and actually offered to organize my office for me, unsolicited, just sort of threw that out there. Um, and I told her, I said, you have to understand, for a professor, to have a cluttered office is a sign of brilliance. It's really, like if you've got a clean office, how intelligent can you be as a professor? So, so I said, no thanks, I don't want my office clean. And so it's come to look like, like this. But most of us would admit, um, even though I'm not an actual hoarder, and that's a completely other sort of struggle and, and, and thing that I'm not making light of at all, that we in America have a problem with a kind of hoarding. This, this sort of mentality that's like, I'm never quite satisfied. I always want more, even though we're one of the, the wealthiest nations in the world, that greed is a struggle for almost every one of us to a certain extent, where we have this mentality where uh, even as a young kid, one of the first words you learn is mine. <laughs> mine. And, and I want more and and it's okay that I got these two presents but I really wanted that one and so I'm going to be upset and so I started to think about this week what what would be the opposite of a kind of hoarding mentality and again I'm not talking about messiness here but this sort of like mine mentality and there is a movement that's sort of cropped up that you might think is sort of the opposite of hoarding and it's called minimalism has anybody heard of this minimalism there's a documentary that's out um, recently called uh, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. And, and I've actually listened to a few podcasts on minimalism. One of the catchphrases you'll hear uh, minimalists talking about is uh, the, the drive to sort of own fewer 
but then comma, better things. Fewer, but better things. So that instead of having like 30 dress shirts, you might have four or five that are like really nice and they fit better and things like that. So is, is minimalism, just having less the opposite of, of greed or, or hoarding? What would be the opposite? And I actually don't think it is. As great as minimalism might be, and if that works for you, that's great. But in some ways, even the drive to just have less is still focused on what you have. You just have less, right? I have five shirts instead of 30 shirts or whatever. And so the question I want to ask today is, what is the opposite of a sort of greedy, mine-driven, hoarding mentality when it comes to our stuff, when it comes to our resources? And the word I want to focus on as the opposite is, is this word sending. Sending is a form of giving. What does it mean to be a sender? Uh, because that word's going to come up more than once in the passage that we're going to read today. What it means to send, to be a sender. And so Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. The words will be on the screen or you can read along in your own Bible. He says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But, in verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God has had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is God's word. I just looked back in, in the back of the room and saw my friend Andrew Schumacher, which I would never embarrass by saying his name in church. But um, uh, in, in college, the way I met Andrew was sort of an interesting story. Um, I accidentally stole his car, and uh, I say that completely seriously. Um, <laughs> it was an odd beginning to a friendship. We've been friends for a long time. Uh, one night, it was finals week, and we had a tradition on finals week where we would leave campus. There was a campus curfew, so you couldn't come back at like 3 in the morning or something like that, but we would leave campus before curfew, and we would go to Denny's. It was a real hot spot for nightlife. Um, we would bring our notes, we would stay at Denny's all night long, right, until the wee hours of the morning, studying for finals, 
and then we would go in and just crush the final exam. And as a professor now, I can tell you, like, unequivocally, that is not the way to crush a final exam. <laughs> but that's what we did. And so we left, we're leaving campus one night, me and a buddy, it's dark, we go out to the parking lot, I see my sort of maroon-colored uh, Honda, Op unlock it, get in, put the key in the ignition, start the car, I'm backing out of the parking lot, and I look down and I see the strangest thing. As we're literally driving, backing out, I see someone has switched my radio and I now have a CD player. And I've, I, I have had my radio stolen before, but I've never had it stolen in order to upgrade. <laughs> and so, <laughs> what in the world? And so I, I'm, I'm still driving, I'm pulling back, and I look back in the back seat and I see a big sack and it's full of bottle rockets and, and like fireworks. <laughs> and I think, why, why do I have fireworks in my car? And I begin to realize, like, I'm driving this car, but it's not my car. It, it, like my key works, it unlocked it, it started the car, we're driving, it's not my car. And somebody's like, I think this might be Andrew's car. And I said, who's Andrew? <laughs> you know, oh, he's this guy, he's on, the, he's on the golf team, you know, he's new here, he's a nice guy. And so I thought, oh, okay. Um, and so we did really the only thing that seemed logical at the time, we, we just went to Denny's. And, <laughs> and then periodically for the rest of the semester, we would just move Andrew's car around, like never, never damage it, never, steal, you know, we just like move it a little bit. And, and then, so we became friends and, and, and that's how we met and that's how we became good friends. And, and now you know a little bit more about me and my sin nature. Um, so I have stolen someone's car, I guess. Um, but the one felony I haven't committed is the act of intentionally reading someone's mail. And one of the things you start to realize, just like that realization, like, this isn't my car. What in the world? When you read this passage, is this, is this realization that, like, this is kind of weird. I, I'm reading somebody else's mail. Some Bible passages, even in letters, you have this sense that it's written right to you. It's like God's love letter to you or God's commands to you, Right? And you read it, and you hear it as that, like, love your neighbor, right? It, it just seems like it was written to you. And then you read this passage, and you realize that you really are reading someone else's mail. Because it's all about how Paul, writing this letter to the Philippians, it's these sort of housekeeping things. I want to send to you this guy named Epaphroditus, which, by the way, takes the cake, I think, for like biblical name that sounds most like a degenerative skin condition or something <laughs> like, like you call it, the doctor calls, what is it, doc? I got bad news, Epaphroditus. <laughs> like, we're going to get through this. He wants to send Epaphroditus and he wants to send Timothy and he's taking care of these like housekeeping issues. And you get the, you, you remember like for the first time sometimes when you read the, wait, this is a letter that was not written originally to me, but was written to this other congregation. And it's important to realize that we sometimes say it in class, that the Bible, every bit of the Bible was written for you. It's for us. But it was not written to us originally. There's a sense in which when we read Philippians, we're reading somebody else's mail and while it's for us, it's not written 
to us, and we have to like dig into the context and see what's going on here and how might this be helpful. And, and one of the things that stands out as we read through this, over and over again, Paul references sending. I want to send Timothy, he says. I've got nobody like Timothy. I want to send him. He says, I want to send this guy, Epaphroditus, whom, whom you sent to me, and I benefited from him, and he got sick, but now I want to send him uh, back to you. The, the whole passage is about sending. One word sums up this whole, the topic of this whole message. It's, it's about sending. And Christians are called to be sent people. That's what the word apostolos means, to be a messenger or a sent one. Uh, and, and so Paul is sending in this passage. And so I want to say four things about the call to be a sender today that are relevant to us, even if you've never met someone named Epaphroditus, right? Um, the first one is this. Sending is a counter-cultural calling. In some ways, what Paul's doing here is, is odd when you consider his situation. And so if you might consider the oddity of his situation for a little bit, Paul is, is where? He's in prison. And in the ancient world, to be in prison, um, I'm not saying being in prison is nice whenever you're in prison, right? But in the ancient world, in some cases, was even worse because they didn't even provide you with food, with clothing. You had to have sort of connections in some cases on the outside to even get the daily necessities. And so you were even more bereft and without and, and sort of at the mercy of friends and family and helpers. And so here's Paul in prison, but rather than just being like, man, I need help. Please come help me. Send me food. Send me. He is in, in this whole passage. It's like he's saying, you know, what can I do for you? I know what I'll do. I'll send Timothy. I'll send like the best I have to you. But he can't go right away. So in the meantime, I'm going to send Epaphroditus. And it's weird for somebody in prison to be so concerned about like giving and serving and sending other people. It's a counterintuitive, countercultural mentality if you're, in, if you're in prison. You tend to be thinking like what I need in this state of sort of wrongful imprisonment. Um, last week, we had a birthday party uh, for one of our daughters. And, and so there's the gifts and everything. And the younger daughter, the whole weekend was just in a state of emotional wreckage just sobbing, cry. why don't I get presents? It's not fair. How long is my birth? You know, it's just this, this the sort of mine mentality and the idea that like, well, no, we just, this is a giving time. We want to honor this one person whose birthday was like none of that. It was just this very sort of upset, angry um, this, this stage of life. It was not about sending or giving. And in some sense, to be focused on others' needs is odd. It is countercultural. Sending, um, I heard it described in, in one, by one person as like launching rockets. When you send things out and you don't know um, how it's going to be received, you may not ever get like a return on that investment, right? 
Um, a few weeks ago, no, really a lot longer than that, months ago, we were in Florida, uh, and we were staying there, and we could see the launch of one of the SpaceX rockets, because we're right near Canaveral there, and the, um, the area code is 321. I just realized why that is. And so we watched the launch of one of the, the sort of the SpaceX rockets, and you can see one of them um, right there. And then a week ago today, as I got up in the morning, I got on the web, and, and they said, you can watch live the launch of the next SpaceX rocket. And I walked in, you know, three, two, one, and then off it goes, and it disappears into space. And you think about, like, how unique that is to send things. I think no other creature does that. Like the giraffes, you don't, you don't see like a plume of smoke. You're like, what's that? Oh, the giraffes, another, you know, telecommunications satellite. They're always, you know, like it's a, it's a unique thing to, to launch these rockets out there to, to in, into outer space. And you don't know what's going to happen. And the famous line of Reagan after the Challenger disaster, that those who, who, who slip the surly bonds of earth and touch the face of God this launching of rockets, and Paul is in prison, and he's still launching rockets. I'm going to send Timothy. I'm going to send Epaphroditus, and if I get out, I'm going to be sent myself. It's a counterintuitive vocation to be focused on sending. And he's still, he's still doing it. Even from a prison cell, he's launching, launching these rockets. We planted a church in West Michigan uh, in the Grand Rapids area, and we had a parent church called Kentwood Community. It was a very large church, great pastor, a guy by the name of Wayne Schmidt. And when we launched the church that we were planting out of Kentwood, uh, Wayne got up on stage and said, we are praying that a couple hundred of you, talking to his congregation, will decide to leave <laughs> and go and take your money and your, your talents and your time and your gifts and go and be a part of the launch of this new church, Compass Church. And I sat there and thought, that's countercultural. Even for a pastor to say that. We're praying that some of you will go and be a part of this new thing so that more people can hear about Jesus Christ. Sending is a counterintuitive, countercultural calling, but Paul does it. Number two, while it's a counterintuitive vocation, to be a sender is woven into the very fabric of the Jesus movement. To be a sender is, is in the DNA of the Jesus movement. And the reason is, is that God is the consummate sender. God is the sender par excellence, the sender uh, of which there is none greater. He sends in, in the Old Testament. He sends his reign, he says, and the sun on the just and the unjust. He doesn't just say, oh, you're being nice today, so I'll give you a little bit of rain or a little bit of sun. He sins sort of indiscriminately. 
James, the book, the book of James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. God is a sender from the very beginning. He sends his prophets, not just to the good people, but to those who need to hear the message. Not just rain and sun, but prophets. He sends his manna in the wilderness, this literal gift of food from heaven. And despite the fact that the Israelites grumble because they want something else, he keeps sending this bread, this manna from heaven. He sends judgment. Most of us would say, that's not a very good gift. <laughs> I didn't ask for that. But even God's judgment on evil and upon the oppressor, upon those who are abusing and are taking advantage, is a gift, right? In the West, in a, in a culture of kind of comfort, we think of God's judgment as a horrible, frightening thing. But if you're in um, Baghdad or, or some territory that's controlled by ISIS or if you're suffering persecution in some uh, far-flung region of the globe, the idea that God would eventually step in to judge evil is good news. It's, it's a gift. And God sins. In the New Testament, the ultimate example of sending is, is the idea that God sends his son. He sends his, 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 John says, his one and only son into enemy-occupied territory to live and die. He not only sends his son, but he sends his spirit. He sends his very self, the breath of God, the spirit of Jesus Christ to fill the bodies, the lives of believers. And the spirit and the son are both talked about through the language of gift. They are God's gifts to the world. God is the consummate sender. And to be a sender is, is woven into the heart of the Jesus movement. You see this in the passage where Paul says this in verse 22. He says, you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me and then he says in verse 24, 23, therefore, I'm sending him. And I don't think it's an accident that Paul speaks of Timothy as his son. They're not, re he's not like his biological dad. There's not like some scandal that we've unearthed here. Um, Paul's not literally his father, but he uses the language of a father sending a son to talk about his sending of Timothy. Just as the father sent his son, so Paul, the metaphorical father, sends his son. To be a sender is at the very heart of the Jesus movement. But thirdly, it's important to talk about what? What we're called to send. What are Jesus' people called to send out in the world? And we could start with, with maybe the most obvious thing in the passage. We're called to send people. Or maybe as Paul would put it or others would put it, we're called to send missionaries. In verse 19, it won't be on the screen, um, but he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, who's a person, a missionary. And then also in verse 25, he says, I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And so maybe the first thing that we could say about what Christians are called to send, we're called to send people or 
we're missionaries. And to be a missionary does not just mean the guy who's living in some far-flung country. I mentioned my colleague at the beginning of the message, Dr. Mike, and Dr. Mike served over a decade on the island of Papua New Guinea and amongst a culture that had been a cannibalistic culture, in many ways kind of a pre-modern, almost like Stone Age culture, and he lived in the jungle. They called him Red Man because his complexion was about like mine, and he became very red very quickly. And, and that's what I think of when I think of a missionary. I think of Dr. Mike, my buddy, the, my office mate there, living in a jungle, ministering to the tribes of Papua New Guinea. But that's not the only kind of missionary. To be a missionary is to be someone who leaves their comfort zone and steps out with the Jesus message to engage someone else with, with the gospel, with, with truth, and with love. And Christians are called to send and to be sent as missionaries. We have some great missions projects at Grace. Some of them are right here in Bartlesville to be sent in something like the, the Dance for Freedom and to support that is an important way of being sent. We've got projects in Kenya, in Nigeria, in Cuba, in Zambia, the Orphan Project that we mentioned recently. Uh, and we're called to send and be sent as missionaries. I've told about my father-in-law before. His name's Brian, Kansas farm boy. Could not be more of a Kansas farm boy. And at one point, back in the day, he had a chance to go to the country of Zambia. Never been to Africa. I was just totally foreign. Like, what am I doing in Africa? I, I can't believe, you know, what? And he, he realized, like, Zambia actually in many places looks a lot like Kansas. And he thought, well, it's actually not that, not that different. And, and I was a farmer in Kansas, and I bet you they could use the benefit of some technology and some resources and some training in order to farm in Zambia. The soil's good, right? And so he began this project over the course of years and years now of sending and being sent to the country of Zambia. And he, he didn't go to school to be a missionary. Uh, he, he doesn't have some sort of advanced training. He, he sells pork, like, li like literally pig stuff, not like political pork, you know, pig stuff. And, and, and he's a missionary, and he sends missionaries. Uh, Jay Kimpel and some others from Grace just got back from Zambia being sent through, through Brian's efforts. We're called to send and be sent as missionaries. Missionaries is the first thing. A second thing Christians are called to, to send in some cases, we're called to send money, uh, monetary gifts. And what's one of the things in the United States as one of the, the wealthiest nations in the world that we can help with? We can give gifts of, of money, of resources to further um, the kingdom work. And I remember my friend Chad, who I mentioned earlier, I planted a church with in Michigan, and I came to Bartlesville to be a professor, and he stayed in Michigan, and he told me this story. He said, You'll never believe this guy who's coming to church now, Compass. He's a tithing atheist. <laughs> I said, what? I, like, I didn't know that. I, thought, I didn't know that was a thing. I thought it was like an Oompa Loompa or something. It wasn't real. Um, and 
he said, yeah, he's a tithing atheist or at least a tithing agnostic. He's this guy, he comes, he's, he's, he's become a great friend, he comes to worship and sits through the messages and he gives sacrificially. He's had, he has a, a fair amount of resources, a good job, and so he tithes and gives sacrificially. But he's told me point blank, he, ha- he doesn't believe or he doesn't really know if he believes any of this sort of supernatural Jesus stuff, you know. And, but he tithes. And so Chad said, I, I went to lunch with him one day because I said, you got to help me understand this. Like, this isn't like a normal thing. <laughs> Atheists don't normally come and give money to churches. What, what do you, you know, tell me about it. I'm not telling you to stop, he said. I'm just, I just want to know. Um, and, and he said, well, Chad, he said, first of all, I love coming. I love the music. I, I find the messages practical. And I, I don't know if I believe yet. But he said, I did hear you say something recently. He, he said, you said that giving breaks the power of greed in your life. And he said, I don't know if I believe in the resurrection yet. But I've found that to be true. I have found that, that giving breaks the power of greed. He says, I know that's a problem for me, and so I decided to give. And in his case, money, resources. Christians are called to give. Because giving, one of the reasons we're called to give is because giving breaks the power of greed in our lives. It's not because God needs our money. It's not like God's sitting up there like, ah, I'm just kind of cash poor right now. I mean, I've got a lot of investments, but, you know, he says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills and I own the hills too. We're not called to give because God needs our money. We're called to give for a variety of reasons. One of them is that it breaks the power of greed in our lives and it gives us an opportunity to send, to launch a rocket of love and grace and encouragement and help into a world that needs it. We're called to send missionaries. We're called to send money. We're called to send, thirdly, material things, material goods and services. So not just writing a check, but actually giving, sending something uh, tangible, whether that's uh, a sort of a good or a service of some kind. Maybe it's a meal for somebody who needs uh, a meal, and, and you, can, you, can, you can do that. Maybe you don't have a million dollars, but you can cook a meal for a new mom or for somebody who's been sick or for someone who's had a death in the family. Uh, a vehicle. Uh, I know my family has benefited immensely from a generous loved one who said, hey, we have this vehicle. You need a vehicle. Here's a vehicle. And they sent uh, a vehicle when we really needed it. A service of some kind that you can send. It's like a tangible material thing. When I was growing up as a pastor's kid in Kansas, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad worked really hard. He was bivocational. He did carpentry and he was a pastor. And we lived behind the church in a double wide trailer. No insurance. I mean, we had, I never, we had a fantastic childhood. We didn't know we were poor or anything like that. But we didn't have some of the resources that other people had. And at one point, my my little sister needed a surgery. And my parents said, we had no idea how we're going to pay for this. We don't have the money for that. We found out that there was a doctor in Bartlesville who could do the surgery and offered to do it for free. 
And I would come to find out later that doctor went to Grace Community Church. I'd never been to Grace Community, I never heard of Grace Community Church. I was a little kid. But he did the surgery and just like a week ago, my mom mentioned how much that meant that somebody would send a tangible gift like that that we couldn't do. I, we don't do surgery at our house. And he could do it. And so he sent that material thing and it changed, for our family, it changed things in a big, big way. Material things that you can send. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, it's something that only you can do. Maybe you fix cars and you're good at that. Or maybe you do woodworking or whatever it is, a material thing that you can send. Lastly, a message. A message of encouragement, a message of joy or hope, uh, of uh, just a, a note of some kind that you can send. How many of you have ever received a note from someone that maybe it seemed like a small thing, it wasn't like a ream of paper, but it just totally changed your day? or totally changed your outlook or your attitude to receive a note like that. I remember at one point in my life, I was going through kind of a difficult day, a difficult time, and I got a note from the leader of the Wesleyan Church, a lady by the name of Joanne Lyon. Short email. This is a lady who meets with presidents for years of both parties and been in all sorts of important rooms, and she sits down and writes me a personal note to say thank you, to, to encourage me, to say keep going. I know you're facing some opposition right now. Keep going. What you're doing is important. That completely changed my outlook. A, a note, a message. And most of us have, have received those, but I confess being the worst of all sinners in this department, while I really appreciate getting them, I'm about the last person to think about writing them. Right? To just take the five minutes and to write something that will encourage. There are so many avenues, whether it's online or elsewhere, where messages of critique and disparagement and just mean, meanness are given. And the church is called to send messages of encouragement and hope, to send a message like that. The power of life and death is in the tongue, the scriptures say and in the pen as well. And if, so if you add up these four things that we're called to send, one of the things you could say is we're called to send our best. We send our best. In verse 20, Paul says this about Timothy, I have no one else like him. Nobody's better than Timothy. He's my son, my spiritual son, and I'm going to send my best. And you say, where does Paul get that attitude, right? He gets it from the passage that Pastor Rod preached about just a couple weeks ago. He gets it from God. He gets it from Jesus that God sent his best. He sent his son. He didn't send a text message, right? He didn't, sit, he didn't send Gabriel, right? Or, didn't, or some like lower angel like Bob, the JV angel of encouragement, right? He sent his very, very best when he sends his son. And we're called to do likewise. And sometimes that's still a small thing. A note might not seem like the best gift in the world, 
but it can be for somebody who needs to hear it. We're called to send our best. And lastly, fourthly, paradoxically, it is in sending that we receive. It, it, I mean, it truly is better to give in so many cases than to receive. Paradoxically, it is in sending that we receive. In verse 19, Paul says this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also, I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. There's this sort of reciprocity. There's this sort of double blessing that in sending Timothy that Paul also expects to receive a blessing in return when Timothy brings back news from Philippi. It goes on to say this later on in the passage in verse 25. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, and he says, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So the Philippians are generous. They send Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus encourages Paul, and the blessing comes back around. And Paul says, when I send him back to you, you are going to receive an encouragement or a blessing. There is this sort of reciprocal, this sort of double blessedness that comes through sending where paradoxically it is in sending good gifts that we receive. One of the things the Philippians receive is this letter. They don't get the letter via email. They don't get the letter via the U.S. Postal Service. They get it because somebody is sent. And so if there's the, a conclusion to this message, this one word sort of topic of sending, it's, it's this. It, Paul and Jesus, the gospel itself is inviting us to be part of the sending. A sending God who sends sending people. And so there has to be an application. The sermon is not just something you hear and then walk away and say, that was good, let's go eat, right? There has to be an application, and the application, the question that I want to ask is this. What can I send this week? What can I send this week? Because if we're really honest, we talk about application, sometimes we get like in big picture, like in my life, which is a pretty broad canvas to paint on, right? My life or, or my future or something like that. But maybe the application is this. What can I send today? What can I send this week of those things that we, that we saw that Christians are called to sin? Maybe it's a note of encouragement that you can sit down and write today. Maybe it's a reminder that you can put into your phone uh, after this message for Monday morning, something to sit down and to do, to sin. Maybe it's a gift, a gift of some money or monetary resource, a gift of food or some sort of material need that you can provide that somebody else needs. Maybe it's support for a, a missions endeavor, an outre outreach project here in town through, through Grace Community Church or through one of the local nonprofits, through The Rock, through, through one of the local uh, charities or missions, through the Dance for Freedom project, through our Cuba mission, through our Kenya outreach, through our Zambia projects for orphans and for other things. Maybe it's the gift of time. Maybe you can send and be sent and to serve, to spend time 
serving in Grace Kids, on the welcome team, to spend time serving somewhere else out in the community uh, through an organization that you know just needs help, right? That just, just needs some sort, of, some sort of lift or some sort of encouragement. What can I send this week? And I would ask you to imagine, imagine what could happen in a town like Bartlesville. Not a big town, right? Relatively speaking. If there was just like this carpet bombing of blessings this week these rockets that were launched out because of this group of people right here um, where you where, where notes messages meals monetary we began to i can send something this week it doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world what can i send the most like perfect way to illustrate this is through a practice that Christians call the Eucharist. And so the worship team is going to come back up. This was not the week we were scheduled to have communion. I totally just changed it on everybody. The worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to conclude in a few minutes by celebrating something that Christians call the Eucharist. And that's a compound word in the, in the Greek. The word ooze, the word for good. The word charis is the word for gift. And the Eucharist is, is God's good gift to humanity. Because it's a, it's a picture. It's a picture of the incarnation. Jesus is God's good gift to humanity. And the Eucharist is a picture of what Jesus does. He's, he's broken. His body is broken. And his blood is poured out as God's good gift to us. And when we receive communion, when we take the bread and the, and the juice, and we, we are receiving God's good gift, something that we did absolutely nothing to earn. We weren't even alive yet. Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've been given grace, a gift from God. And so this week we're going to come and receive God's good gift to the Eucharist, his, his grace, his forgiveness, his son. And I'm going to ask you to do something different. There's markers and some pins on the communion tables, and there's some paper there. Someone asked me today if we were having seafood. I think they do that at like a Joe's Crab Shack or something. It's not seafood. So when you take communion, either before or after, perhaps with your family or your, your spouse or your friends, receive God's good gift and I want to think about I want to ask you to think about an answer to that question what can I send this week and, and there's some things sort of written on there to sort of seed the pot there's words like missions and messages of encouragement and encouraging words and gift gift cards to, to a family in need um, pre-made meals for, for for new moms or for the sick or for someone in need, there's sort of some ideas there. I want you to think about what you can send. Right? Not just to Grace Community Church, but to the community of, of Bartlesville. I mean, what can you send to your neighborhood, to your coworkers, to your friends, to those who are in need? And I want you, as you're praying to receive communion, to ask what God might be calling you to send. And if something comes to mind, you can write it down there when you receive communion, go back to your seat. 
something doesn't come to mind, you can, you can continue to pray about it. You don't have to write something down um, and see if, see if God does a work in your heart. But, but Christians are called to sin and to be sent, to be launched out like rockets of grace into God's world. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to, to read a passage that in some ways reminds us that when we read these letters, we're reading somebody else's mail. But that even in the details of Paul's ministry of sending, we receive a call to send as well. To send and to be sent. And so I pray that we would heed that call today as we contemplate what we can give to others. We don't do that to earn your love because you loved us before we ever thought of loving you. We don't do it to curry favor. We simply do it because we're so grateful that you sent your son to us, that you sent your spirit to and in us. And so it's just out of pure gratitude for your pure gift that we sinned as well. We remember the words of scripture that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. And we recall that in the same way also he took the cup and said that this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And so we do as the scriptures call us to remember his sacrifice, his gift, and with great gratitude to confess our sins and to celebrate that gift through the Eucharist, God's good gift. May we sin and be sent as you sent your son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.